This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. I'm Stuart Finlay. Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. Today it's Ron Kangas with Witness Lee for our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John. This is part two of The Need of the Hungry Life's Feeding. The verses are John chapter 6 verses 16 through 71. If you'd like to contact us, our telephone number is Hamilton 853-2620, which we will repeat again later. Now here's Ron and Witness Lee. Ron, we come again today to chapter 6 in John. Last week we saw how the Lord fed the thousands, and that was really to show how he meets the need of the hungry. And now the disciples are fed, but they have another problem. What's the background of this middle portion of John 6? We have been considering from the Gospel of John how Christ, the Son of God, as life, meets every human need whether the need of a moral man like Nicodemus or an immoral woman like the Samaritan woman in John 4, or of the dying or the impotent, he meets every need. We saw how he feeds us with himself to meet the need of our spiritual hunger. And we'll continue this in a little while in chapter 6. But midway in John 6, we have an insertion concerning the disciples in a boat trying to make their way across the sea and encountering some very severe weather, quite threatening, and the Lord coming to them and entering into their boat and bringing about a very calm, peaceful situation. And what's crucial for us to see for the proper application of this is that the wind and the waves signify the troubles we encounter in our human life. As we're on our journey We often encounter wind and waves. So this is the stormy situation indicating the troubled human life. So human life is not only a life of hunger for which we need food, but a life of troubles for which we need peace. And Christ is both our food and our peace, as we'll see. So that's where we begin our study this time. We come to troubled world and the peace giving Christ. Don't you believe that you are in a troubled world? The family life is a troublesome life. The school life is a troublesome life. To teach is troublesome. To be a technician is troublesome. To be a nurse is troublesome. To be a doctor is troublesome. 
Come together the word. This is trouble word. Trouble somewhere. No one is at peace. Who is at peace? The president, the senators, the congressmen, or the trash men. <laughs> I don't care for whatever man you are. As long as you are a man, you are a troubled man. We all got the trouble. But the troublesome word is for Christ to come in. He is the peace-giving Christ. John is a book of pictures. In this chapter, it not only portrays the hungry world, but also portrays the trouble, the trouble world. The world can trouble everybody, but cannot trouble him. He won on the waves when the boat received him. The boat got the peace. If you would receive Christ into your marriage, your marriage will be a peaceful marriage. If you would accept Christ into your family, your family will be a peaceful family. If you would accept Christ into your any kind of job, that job will be a peaceful job. Without Christ, this world is hungry. Without Christ, this world is troubled. But with him, we have the satisfaction. With him, we have the peace. He is the feeding Christ, and he is peace-keeping Christ. Praise the Lord. Here it says, the still of sea and the brewing wind signifying the troubles in the human life. When under the sea are the demons. That's why we have the trouble. In the air... <laughs> In there are the evil spirits. You see, under us, demons. Above us, evil spirits. How could you expect to have a peaceful day? <laughs> you are in the wrong place. Under your face, demons. Above your head, evil spirits. Jesus can walk on the troubling waves of the human life. We need to enjoy the peace with him on the journey of human life. Amen. Young people, do you like to have a peaceful human life? Amen. You have to take Jesus into your boat. Amen. Let's pause here. Ron, we all understand the troubles of everyday life. Can you say more about the peaceful human life we can have by taking Jesus into our boat? The sea here signifies the troubles that we encounter on our journey through life. And the boat, we could say, is a sign of the various practical matters in our daily living that we need for our journey. So it could be a job, could be marriage, family life, our financial situation, any number of things. And our tendency really in our fallen nature is to try to, to go it alone, to handle things by our natural strength. When we do that, there's turmoil without and turmoil within. The Lord objectively 
is the Lord over our whole environment, indicated by his walking on the sea. But his desire is to be subjectively and personally involved with us and one with us in all of our situations. So when we, in a sense, admit our need and give up and stop trusting ourselves and let the Lord into our practical situation, into the boat of our marriage, say, or into the boat of our finances, then his presence changes everything, not only outwardly, but especially inwardly. Because peace is really the presence of the living Christ. We are at peace when he is given the preeminence and he is present with us in our actual and practical situations. Let's rejoin Witness Lee now in John chapter 6 where the Lord talks about the bread of life in verses 32 through 71. Now, we come to the bread of life. Regardless after what food people are seeking, they all are seeking for satisfaction. Now, here we have the food that abides. Food abiding to eternal life. If you read this portion of the chapter, verses 32 through 71, carefully, you could see in this portion, you have the Lord incarnate. You have the Lord crucified. You have the Lord resurrected to indwell you. And you have the Lord ascended. And you have the Lord becoming the life-giving spirit. And you have the Lord eventually embodied in his living work. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, indwelling, ascension becoming the life-giving spirit and being embodied in the life-giving work. It's marvelous. Okay, number one, coming to man by being incarnate from heaven to the earth to give life to man. This is his incarnation. Being slain, crucified, to be eaten by man. Eventually, uh, after he talked so much, he talked about the blood. You know, when I was young, when I read this portion of the word, I said to myself, if I were there, surely I would ask Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, didn't you talk about the bread of life? How could the bread made of loo, made of barley, have the blood? You see the point? To have the blood means what? means you have been slain. And the blood is separate from the flesh. Whenever the blood is separate from your flesh, that means what? That means you are dead. Don't have your blood separate from you. So here, no doubt, the Lord indicated that he was going to be slain to be crucified for us to eat him. To eat the Lord's flesh is to receive by faith all what he did by giving his body for us. And to drink his blood is to receive by faith what he has accomplished by shedding his blood for us. Then after this, you have the resurrection. How could I know? Listen to this. Resurrected to joy, to indwell, 
that the Lord abides in us indicates that he had to be resurrected. Because here is a verse in which he says he will abide in us. You should tell me when he could abide in you. Of course, not before resurrection. must be after resurrection. So this abiding indicates he was going to be resurrected to be the indwelling spirit. We receive the Lord by eating him, that we may live by him. Not only resurrected to indwell, but also ascended. Ascension proves the completion of the redemptive work. The Lord ascended to the Father, and the Father accepted him. And this proves what he has done on the cross for all redemption was so acceptable to the Father. The Father would say, that's fine. And this proves whatever he did for us on the cross was a satisfaction to God the Father. Ron, this is really a wonderful section with all the items of Christ that John 6 gives us. I don't think any of us realize all that's here. Can you say more about the connection between the Lord being resurrection and his abiding in us? This is a most remarkable matter, and I appreciate the insight into verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. These words, I in him point to Christ in resurrection. Christ in the flesh, in incarnation, could only be with the disciples or among them. It was impossible for him to be inside of them. Recently, I heard of a certain radio speaker denying the reality of the indwelling Christ. But the Lord's Word makes it very clear, I in Him. Only in resurrection is it possible for Christ to be in us. Because in resurrection, although Christ was resurrected with a body of flesh and bones, He simultaneously became the life-giving Spirit. And as the Spirit, who is the reality of Christ in resurrection, the resurrected Christ can be in us, and that's the fulfillment of I in him. We can testify, even now as we speak, that the resurrected Christ, as the life-giving Spirit, really lives in our spirit. Ron, can you also say more about the Lord's ascension, proving that his redemption work is complete? Ascension, according to the New Testament revelation, is actually the continuation and the consummation of resurrection. We know from Romans 4.25 that Christ was raised from the dead for our justification. That is, raised from the dead as evidence that God had accepted his redeeming death on the cross as a vicarious sacrifice for us. So resurrection was a demonstration by God that God had accepted his work on the cross for us. This continues with ascension. Christ ascended to the Father. The Father accepted him as the firstborn son. 
And Hebrews 1.3 says that after Christ made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That indicates actually in a formal and official and even regal way that Christ's redemptive work was not only completed, but also accepted by God. So now Christ can sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high in ascension in the heavens as one whose completed redemptive work has been fully accepted by God the Father. And after ascension, he came down as the life-giving spirit. Through resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15.45, to be received by us. When we get on chapter 20, we will see on the same day of his resurrection, in the night, he came back to the disciples and breathed upon them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. That is himself. That is himself after resurrection. Christ after resurrection was transfigured into the Spirit. Receiving the Lord Jesus, <laughs> but getting the Spirit who gives life. We all can prove this. We all call, oh Lord Jesus, <laughs> whom we receive. We receive the Spirit. We call on Jesus, we receive the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is Jesus. The Spirit is the person of Jesus. I would uh, call your attention to read verse 26 of chapter 14. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, whom the Father will send to you in my name, the Spirit will be sent in the name of Jesus. Who is the Spirit? Jesus. Jesus. You see, you have the name and you have the person. Uh -huh. The best way to get the Spirit is to call on the name of Jesus. We all can prove this, right? Whenever we, we are in darkness, we are in trouble, we say, Oh, Lord Jesus, our mind is in the Lord Jesus. But eventually, we get the Spirit of Him. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus, but we get the Spirit. And this means what? We call on the name, we get the person. Praise the Lord. The Spirit is the person of the dear Lord Jesus. Today, Christ at the bread of life, not only incarnated, slain, resurrected to indwell, ascended, and becoming the life-giving spirit, but also embodied in the word of life. In this chapter, the last item is the word of life, which is Christ embodied. The spirit is wonderful, but rather too mysterious. Too abstract. Now we have something solid, something visible, something tangible, something touchable. The word of life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Rima, the instant 
and present spoken word, solid for men to receive. Receiving the word by exercising our spirit to get the spirit who is life. You all have to realize in this way, the word is outside of us. When we receive the word inside of us, the word right away becomes the spirit. When I speak the word out, the spirit becomes the word again. When you receive the word into you, the word becomes the spirit again. When you speak the word out, the spirit becomes the word again. In and out, word and spirit, spirit and word, out and in, in and out. It's wonderful. Could you follow me? Eventually, I tell you the truth. The resurrected Christ is the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Word, and the Word is the Spirit, and the Spirit is the resurrected Lord for us to enjoy Him. And now, day by day, we are participating in this wonderful resurrected Christ as our food, as our life, and as our life supply, who is now the Spirit that gives life, and also the Word of Life, that is the Spirit of Life. It's wonderful. Ron, Witnessley's last point has to do with the Spirit and the Word. Please comment on the relationship between the Spirit and the Word. This is actually a very crucial matter and a very practical matter for our experience in Christ as he's revealed in John 6. If we don't see the relationship between the Spirit and the Word, there is no way for us to actually eat and drink the Lord as our life supply. The Lord said in verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh, meaning the flesh of his physical body, physically, doesn't give us life. The Spirit gives life. Then the Lord goes on to say, The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Here we have a connection between the Lord's words and the Spirit. The Spirit who gives life is most wonderful but we have to admit, rather abstract. But we thank the Lord for the marvelous provision of the written, inspired, inerrant Word of God. According to John 6.63, the essence of God's inspired Word is spirit and life. We know from the Gospel of John that Christ himself is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. We know from the end of the Gospel of John and also from John 14, which we'll cover in due time, that Christ in resurrection is the life-giving Spirit. So Christ is the Word and Christ is the Spirit. And Christ as the Spirit who gives life and Christ as the Word, realized as the Spirit who gives life, is embodied in the Word of God, which is Spirit and life. Paul realized this when he said, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. It has God's breath. So I must admit, 
I love this connection between the Spirit and the Word because it gives me a way in my daily life to come to the Lord and contact Him and feed on Him and drink Him in. And it's very simple. We open the words of the Bible in the Lord's presence. And we come to the Bible by coming to the Lord Himself. And we come to the Lord by coming to His Word. And we pray and we contact Him. We may turn the words of the Scripture into prayer. And as we are taking the Word of God in this way, we are touching the Spirit and life in the Word. When we touch the Spirit and life in the Word, we touch the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit who gives life. And when we touch the life-giving Spirit, we are in contact with the living Christ Himself, who is the bread of life, the living bread, the true bread, the bread of God, the bread that came down out of heaven. And the more we do this, coming to Him by coming to the Word, touching the Spirit and life in the Word, we receive the Lord into us as our life and our life supply. In this way, the Christ in John 6 who did this miracle, that very Christ becomes the bread of life to me and the living bread to me. He makes me living. He makes me alive. He's the true bread. He makes me real. It's the bread of God. He fills me with His divinity. It's the bread out of heaven. He gives me a heavenly taste. And in this way, He satisfies the hunger deep within. So we're not merely studying history here because we have the Word and we have the Spirit. So in our daily living, we have Christ as the living bread, the bread of life, the bread of God. I really enjoy Him as the Spirit and as the Word. Amen. Thank you, Ron. John 6 not only portrays the hungry world, but also the troubled world. Christ is the feeding Christ to the hungry world and the peace-giving Christ to the troubled world. The world may trouble everyone, but it cannot trouble Him. Without Christ, the world is also troubled, but with Him we have satisfaction and peace. He is the feeding Christ and the peace-giving Christ. Praise the Lord. We're always happy to hear from you and answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and these are free. We'd love to send you a copy. If you'd rather, you can order a free copy from Bibles for New Zealand. That's bfnz.org.nz. They also have a phone number, 0800 40 40 80. Or else you can call us on Hamilton 853 2620. Again, 853 2620. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30pm, when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close today with the hymn, Take Time to Behold Him. And it's from the CD, Splendid Church Life.
been listening to Free FM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you've enjoyed today's Life Study program and thank you for joining us. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This Free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.